0: pandemic has forced us all to think differently about how we approach work and how we approach life. It's a two-way street. It's working together, hand in hand. And I've never liked the approach where an employer you know, tells you where you have to be, what hours you need to work by, what seat you need to sit in. It's like telling kids what to do. Came from,
1: I guess, the ashes of Make More Media was, was work club. Hello there, this is your host Harry and thank you very much for listening to this upcoming bout of unboxing. Just before we start, I wanted to let you know that as part of my unboxing gym, each month I hold a free workshop with a guest from the podcast designed to help you develop your mindset and upskill in new areas. They're really fun. It's great to have a few people on there who actually listen to the show and it's a chance for me to really engage and help you develop your career or whatever that you're building i always love to hear it they're open to absolutely everyone so do check them out head over to unboxingwithharry.com or just feel free to drop me a message via social media anyway that's enough of me rambling i hope you enjoy the show Welcome to another bout of unboxing first for a little while, actually good to be returning to the ring. My sparring partner today is Nick Donnelly, another Donnelly, and we've had Chris Donnelly, Nick's brother beforehand. Nick is the founder and CEO of Work Club, an app that gives remote workers access to on-demand hot desks, day offices, and meeting rooms across the UK. Very interested to chat to Nick today a bit about his backstory and also his perspective on how the future of the workplace could unfold. Nick, great to have you in the ring. Great to
0: be here. Thank you for
1: having me. Are you based out in America or UK we are,
0: at the We are based wherever we can find Wi-Fi. So we've uh, <laughs> yeah, we decided it. To, we got we got out of the UK a while back because it was uh, with a baby in a, in a small flat in London, it was just getting a bit chaotic. And with lack of nurseries open, play centers open, there's not a lot of places that we could have taken Scarlet. And we felt that was putting her at a slight disadvantage by not getting out there, not meeting other kids. So my wife's American. We took the opportunity to come out here uh, a
1: while back. And uh, thank goodness we did. And we will be back at some point. Good stuff. So I was going to ask just on that, like it's interesting the whole London and sort of being in a bit of a cupboard um, Mm -hmm. because it's like, I think, it's sort of conventional wisdom to think that you know once once you've sort of done uni and you're going to make it with your career you're going to kind of live in london but i've experienced living in london and it being kind of quite tight for space it's almost like that that dogma of like london has to be the place to be if you want to make it is actually up for question now a bit more
0: i mean i love london i love that city and i think it's an incredible place to start a business and uh, it's an incredible place to live the reason we can all work from wherever we work best is is because of what's happened the pandemic has forced us all to think differently about how we approach work and how we we approach life along with that and uh, i think the pandemic has made people realize that there are a lot of other things that they were potentially missing out on maybe taking the kids to school in the morning maybe looking after their wellness a bit better by going to the gym or, or whatnot people have realized that there are these advantages that if they weren't commuting every day back and forth that they could fit these things into their life a bit more and and that means that if you're not going to the office every day why would you need to be in central london anymore i mean central london is a great place to be but it's expensive it's busy Mm -hmm. and it's very crowded when times are normal when people are doing the commute every day is it's a very tough place to be every single day and i did that lifestyle for probably like 15 years day in day out going into old street and uh and it wore me down i didn't realize it was wearing me down because it was just so normal for me and everyone else it was it was kind of programmed into us to to do that but yeah it it was exhausting and uh just taking a step back from that and realizing all the benefits that you can get from not using that time to get in the morning and all that time to you know speak to your colleagues and gossip and take that all away you get (laughs) you freeze up so much and uh yeah, now I think people are going to start looking outside of London, outside of the big cities, so that they can have a bit more flexibility with their lives. It's amazing now, and it changes everything. It changes the way you potentially uh, base yourself, where your kids go to school, how you move from A to B, uh, and I think a lot of businesses and a lot of services are going to have to mould their products around this new style of of living and working. Yeah. So it's uh, it's definitely opened up a lot of doors.
1: It has, yeah. It's 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 actually amazing to think that. Like before the pandemic it would be totally normal to spend you know three hours on a train every day or Mm. one say totally normal that is quite a long commute (laughs) and you know do meetings yeah Yeah, yeah. do meetings in you know australia just one day meeting and then come back i think all of those things are now up for question and i think it's really good from the standpoint of an efficiency um Mm. point of things which is i guess you know where platforms like yours come in Yeah, for me, I think London, I'm in agreement with you, look, I think London and, you know, cities are really, like, they'll still have their appeal and they'll still have their pull, but it's just, you don't have to maybe spend every single day going there. Like, you know, maybe it's just... the
0: way people use the office as well. A lot of employers will continue to have that central office and have some sort of expectation that employees come in one day or two days a week. But you're going to see different age groups coming in on different days. So what we predict is that a lot of the, I guess, older generation, but I guess 35 upwards will start to probably come in early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, because they want to spend towards the end of the weekend with their families, with their kids, whatever it may be. Whereas the younger individuals, the ones under 35, they will probably use the central office as a kind of a stepping stone to their social life. You know, then they're yeah. in the in the city centre, they can go out in the evening after that, whereas potentially at the early week, they might want to stay at home and work Remotely, so we're going to see yeah. very different working patterns based on the type of life these employees are going to want to live. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to change a lot of just the approach for for everyone, employer and employee.
1: Yeah, I wanted to actually ask about the generational difference that mm-hmm. you brought up there, and like, how do you have you found with you know with your platform that this is an easier sort of transition to make for the younger generation versus an older generation who are maybe a little bit more steeped in in tradition um, yeah. of how work has to be
0: yeah I, I definitely a lot of the younger generation have adapted much better than the older generation i think i think you're gonna have a lot of problems if you have based on the natural distractions you have you have at home so if you do have a partner hopefully there's enough space for both of you to work in separate spaces um because if you're on top of each other that's going to get old really quick and yeah. kids as well having kids at home constantly it's just a very different dynamic to deal with if if you're used to something else. So most of us, I think, uh, who have kids, I you know I've worked in that office environment and I can get a lot of work done. But the worst part about it for me was the commute. Getting rid of that, I now have been able to save a lot of that time. But for the for the younger people, I don't think the commute is the problem. It's hard to say, but they're just adapting to it much easier than the older generation. I think their expectation from now on is that they get that level of flexibility and that level of choice. To choose where they work best whereas the old generation there's still an expectation that everything will go back to normal the office will remain a central part of business and it will in some way but the office is going to change drastically over the next few years it's going to reduce in size it's going to be used and it's for different purposes than just a desk and a wi-fi connection and and for work it's going to be used more for coming together with your teammates and collaborating and that social element of work and also the feeling that there is a place to go to to work and be part of your team is, I think, still an important part of, of the office. But uh, yeah, the dynamics are going to change much more over the next few years. We're going to see the older people taking a slight, I want to say older people, but I guess anyone who is 40, finding it hard to figure out how they operate in a fully or partially remote working
1: world. Yeah, because I think the thing that sort of comes up, which I find interesting, is that I think there's a dogma of the if you're going to just be at home all the mm-hmm. time, then how can we know that you're doing the work that we want you to do? But how, how can we sort of have our eye watching over you? And I think this is the interesting debate that it's throwing up in that around sort of if you're aligned as an employee to the business, it's easier to work from home because you're not sort of doing your work out of fear of your boss sort of looking over your, your shoulder, metaphorically speaking. But actually, you just you know, want to work and you'll find wherever you can work from home. Okay. So for me, the the interesting point of conversation is like how this is throwing up more necessity for companies to be aligned with their employees so that they actually feel empowered to do the work themselves. So I think it's interesting to see how that'll affect the way that companies are run. I know, I know I've seen a couple of LinkedIn posts, can't remember if it's from yourself, on this topic, but mm-hmm. don't know if you had any thoughts.
0: I think it's definitely a it's not a problem yet, but it's something that these employers need to solve and solve fast. They need to start getting on board with remote working and understand what their employees want from that. And then, then the employers also need to understand what the employer wants from them. It's a two-way street. It's working together, hand in hand. And I've never liked the approach where an employer, you know, tells you where you have to be, what hours you need to work, by what seat you need to sit in. It's like telling kids what to do. You know, we're adults. We should be able to tell our boss you know, the person paying us where we work best, how where we are most efficient. So it's a two-way street working together. I'm no expert in how to make teams work more efficiently remotely, but this is why we're seeing a lot of companies hiring for that specific role, you know, workspace expert, flexible working experts. And these roles are coming up more and more. It's an interesting role. They're very well paid roles because they're such an important part of the business going forward. So I think for those of us in this space, you know, it's a great opportunity for someone or for many people to evolve their careers into this into this space because it's a big thing that companies and employees need to solve. If they get it yeah. right, they'll see the benefits immediately. If they get it wrong, yeah, they probably I, won't last very long.
1: I know, and that's the interesting thing. And I think from the employee perspective as well, it's mm-hmm. like if you've been maybe like half the appeal of a job has actually been sort of the lifestyle benefits of a really nice office or mm-hmm. a really nice location in old street or something. But, and, you know, the work is just something that they kind of, you know, put up with to, for the lifestyle type thing. I think mm-hmm. COVID and and being, you know, just at home and sitting there doing the work, it it sort of puts more of an emphasis on the work specifically that you are doing. And yep. so therefore, yeah, it's kind of, linking into this whole concept of, you know, unboxing and it being about something that you really enjoy doing and, you know, in line with what you're doing. So it'll be really interesting to see how companies kind of come out of this and whether they'll be able to sort of keep that alignment. I guess it will be a good natural test of it. I've started even seeing some companies test the
0: idea of um, offering a full-time position, but for two people. So it becomes a more of a part-time okay. role. Two people take on one full-time role so that individual has the opportunity to then find another role with some other company interesting a yeah. salary where they're mixing up their day-to-day regularly. And there's no, I mean, the work's consistent, but it, it keeps you excited. It keeps you, you know, you're you know, doing so many different projects, you're never getting bored, you're always motivated. And, and I, I love this. I love the idea that we are experimenting with such positions. Or that employees are willing to experiment with such positions so whenever we get a chance to encourage an employer to do that we will but again this is where the flexible workspace experts or the flexible working experts come into play this is what they need to set out for sure. an employee when they're looking at how they're going to adapt to work in this new way of
1: work yeah and it's it's also interesting from obviously we're talking from the perspective of an employer who already has quite a few employees and, and yeah. they have to sort of change their mindset but For someone maybe more like me who's very much at the start of my journey in the process of of starting new companies. It's quite exciting now because when you're looking at to hire people, there really are no boundaries. Like you could easily, you know, you can go on upwork or people per hour and find your staff who are just, you know, working from somewhere. You know, I've got a graphic design illustrator helping me do these caricatures who i've never met in person I mean, that's doesn't just... have one of those guys exactly, exactly. everyone Everyone's needs one guys
0: in back pocket i
1: mean exactly. i've had
0: my guy from fiverr for literally about 15 years and he's yeah. my designer and he's like my go-to guy and yeah. he creates like multi-million pound designs and brands for five dollars <laughs> and he's brilliant and we get on so well and I, yeah. you know, he, he's very happy that I've consistently used him throughout for 15 years now. Yeah. Um, and he's utterly brilliant, but he's based over in India. He's, he's excellent. And, you know, I've, I've got no boundaries of who I hire and how I hire yeah. them. I've got, what I look at is I've got work to be done. I need, I've need i got certain tasks that I need help on or and then I dish them out. And, and yeah. it's never, I try and keep it as simple as possible. I'd probably keep it too simple in my approach, but. It seems to work for those involved. Yeah,
1: it, it's almost like the, the really technical work that that doesn't need too much of a kind of understand. Say, if you just write, here's the sketch. You just need it turned into a design. It's very like technical work. Or here's a podcast. Just take out the erms and um, you know cut the gaps like that. Yeah. That can be outsourced so easily. So uh, like through these companies like Fiverr. So I think. Yeah. Here in the UK, like there's less of an emphasis on technical skills and more on kind of skills like creativity, sort of leadership, different kinds of skills. That I think is also an interesting trend. But yeah, we sort of sort of taken it off on us on a slight tangent there. When I'm looking to hire, it's it's kind of it's just interesting because you know it could be as easily someone I employ from. Surrey, or it could be from South Africa, and it doesn't really make too much yeah. difference. Except the person in South Africa you're going to probably have to pay a lot less. So
0: maybe, maybe yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, we you know we've got so many re- resources out there that we can use. That as a startup, we're going to obviously look at cost is always going to play a huge factor in any kind of development work, creative work, uh, and if, if those options are available, then as long as you are doing right for the person that you're working with, then all is all is well. I think um, even with design now, I mean, there's so many tools out there that make designing for me really easy. Yeah. Having Google drawings, I, I can do a lot of work through that quite easily. And I'm usually quite amazed that I can do the work <laughs> through these tools. Yeah. And even Umar goes to me, gosh, oh, you know, you, I'm going to lose you. I'm going to lose business because of Google drawings. And, <laughs> and but yeah, there's there's just so much available out there that you know you can pick and choose what yeah. you do and how you do it. It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. It's um, it's amazing what you you can it blows my now dad's
0: do. Mind I tell you know the fact that Mike, you know Chris, doing his thing with Chris and Will with Lottie and and um, what he does with Verb. You know, it's it blows my dad's mind that we are able to achieve this without really even shaking hands with these people that we work yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, you know,
1: it's, it's, it's a different world. It's incredible. Right, now I've got you in between rounds, it's time for a very quick announcement. promise I won't keep you for very long. So chances are, if you're listening to this show, you've probably seen one of the little caricature illustrations that I get made for each of my guests. Well, until now, they've only been for guests. But you can now get your hands on one, get your very own unboxing caricature made, and not only made, but plastered across a mug to sit on your desk via my Buy Me A Coffee page. Go to buymeacoffee.com, forward slash unbox with Harry and get your hands on one. And not to mention, they make for a fantastic gift. Anyway, let's get on with the show. As you bring it up, I I did want to just sort of retrace a little bit back to your backstory. And obviously, it's quite funny. So you're the second Donnelly I've had on the podcast. And you've also got a brother who is another brother who was in my year at university, who's also entrepreneurial. So You're obviously from a very entrepreneurial family. Where did it sort of start off for you in terms of having an entrepreneurial spark and potentially sort of starting your own things? I don't know. I genuinely don't
0: know. Like my dad runs his own business, so I think you know, growing up, we were very fortunate to spend a lot of time with our parents and do a lot of holidays and you know, doing these very extended holidays of like one month, two months in the US, where we'd rent a, a property and just spend our time out there my dad would work remotely and and i think just growing up with that knowing that he had complete control over his schedule and and how he ran his business i think we took a lot of inspiration from that um, yeah. to have that level of control in our lives and also going through the wellington system they teach you a lot about being they make you very confident they make you believe in yourself and i think that was always at the back of my mind that at some point in my career i was going to spin off and and do my own thing and I'd already been doing my own thing part time uh, and in college as well, so it wasn't anything new. I mean, if you go all the way back, um, I probably shouldn't mention some things on podcasts, but I, if you go all the way back to school, even in when I was like ten years old, I was you know creating little games on floppy disks. And during my break, uh, you know, when everyone else is playing in the playground, there's me upstairs with one of the with one of the nerds going, "Well, I wanted to do this, this, and this." And, and they'd make it for me, and I'd sell these floppy disks on the on the playground. And um, it was simply like a PowerPoint presentation. You'd click through the game, and you get to the exit. And if you you either win or lose. And so this idea of creating stuff was always something I'd do. And I did it at boarding school to make money, and then I did it at after boarding school. And so, you know, it's always just to make a little bit of money on the side, whether it be selling stuff or buying you know old computer, uh, what are they called? The computer machines, the the big boxes and pulling out all the all the bits and upgrading them and then selling the boxes as a separate thing. I, you know, I, We were always doing these things as kids. And um, yeah, I think it's just being able to believe in yourself and then just going after it and wanting that type of lifestyle. I think all of us wanted it. And if one of us does it, the next one's going to do it as well. So yeah. the fact that I was doing it, Chris started doing it, and then Chris started doing really well and I started pushing a bit harder. There's always competition between the brothers yeah. incredibly friendly competition a lot of banter but it pushes us all it drives us all and and then we all, all of a is like well you know i am i've got these ideas as well and i'm gonna you guys are doing it, i'm gonna go do it now and, and my parents laugh i mean they just sit back and and think it's hilarious because we're all you know create our own paths uh, and controlling our lives and we don't follow you know the the crowd really yeah. so it works but do we know what we're doing? No, not at all. We just kind of go with it, do what feels right, treat people well, and and hopefully find something you do that you love.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, uh, it's amazing how much this podcast sort of comes back to school days and, and you sort of touched on it there with how Wellington made you believe in yourself, which I think is largely what it comes down to when you're starting your own business. Like it's, you know, largely, I believe, down to, you know, do you back yourself to make it work? Because you can't know whether it's going to work out or not at the start. So is there anything specific you sort of remember from your Wellington days and specific that that school did that really allow or, like, helped you focus on being able to believe in yourself? Or is yeah, that just...
0: I, I think the whole... Bo- you know, being thrown in the deep end a bit with the boarding aspects of, you know, you have to kind of fend for yourself now uh, without having the support of your mum and dad to, you know, go home to in the evenings and, and make everything better, you know. And Wellington's first few years, there was an element of bullying, but something that is part of the tradition of the school and you you get used to it and you deal with it in your own way. And And for me, it helped me come out stronger on the other end. And I think that the teachers always did a phenomenal job at making you realize that you you could do more than what you were doing and I was never one who who'd push myself to the to the limits to beat everyone. I was very content with just at being at my own pace, but always teachers would pull me aside and say you know there's a there's a bit more that you can do here and and they would push me in the right direction, support me and I, I was saying this to my wife the other day you know there was aspects of Wellington that were really difficult to get through. But the one thing that was consistent throughout was the support that the professors, the teachers always, always gave you. And uh, I think that was, I mean, incredible. Really, really helped me definitely yeah. get through it, get through the difficult parts, but also get to the end, graduate with the grades that I that I did. I was never great with grades. I mean, I was getting C's. My parents are incredibly pleased with C's. You know, they're very, very happy that I, you know, C's get degrees for my parents. But then when Chris and Will came along and were getting A's, they were like, what was wrong with you, Nick? So thank God I was the oldest kid, but um, yeah, it, I think the teachers really help build that confidence, but also the friends, the people around you, you know, constantly yeah. supporting yeah. you when times are tough, and and they're your family, they're the ones you rely on, they're your brothers, and they, you know, some of them right even today are my best friends, they're the guys I go to.
1: It's that support that is again, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's that support that you can give pupils beyond the grades, like the grades yeah. sort of tick the boxes, but it's actually what's what's going on beyond that which i think really matters which i think schools are focusing more and more on but i i know that wellington are a bit of a leader in that space
0: yeah it was it was tough going from that to then to a university in the u.s because going to university in the u.s at the age of i was 20 when i started so a little bit older and i've obviously gone through the whole wellington experience and then all of a sudden at 20 years old i'm thrown into the first year at uni where being told to do all my generals my sciences my english my my maths my everything that my geography and and all to do all that again i was quite shocked and it took me back a bit and then to have teachers not supporting you kind of talking down to you was a very different experience than what i got at wellington so the first few years at university in the us i really struggled to adapt like it completely flipped like my social life was incredible my friends were incredible there's no element of bullying or anything but then the teachers were just awful because they just didn't know the type of education that I'd been brought up in and it was a hugely different um, experience yeah I love
1: that yeah that's cool so just sort of fast-forwarding a little bit from there um, I was just wondering how you then came to eventually starting work club like were there any key moments sort of did you start off running your own business or was that something that came later? And then, yeah, how did you ultimately get the idea for WorkClub?
0: So a bit of a long story. So I started, well, I mean, as I said before, you know, always tinkering with ideas and creating new things um, throughout my life and then running a marketing agency up until I went to university in Minnesota. While I was in Minnesota, I ran or I built an app called Sniffit, which a really bad name. I wasn't great at the old branding thing back then, but uh, it was called Sniff It, and it was about sniffing out the best deals in the town, and we promoted to the student population, did really well, learned a lot from that, came back to the UK after graduating, thinking, I want to do this again. We, Chris and I then started a business together called Real UniGuide. Um, we raised a little bit of money, um, family and friends, but also an individual angel. That allowed us to build a, a, a good site, but we didn't really... Realize the opportunity that we had and, and it kind of ended up um fizzling out but again a very good experience which led then chris to do verb and then i started back in the commercial right uh, started in the real estate world managing vacant buildings where we would use the space to serve people who needed accommodation and also flexible workspace and this was you know such a big hit in london we would be renting out you know jail cells to people who who just needed them for like work purposes and it was it was wild because we and people would literally take anything that we had available if it was at the right price and for us it was a security deterrent it prevented the building from being squatted or broken in or maybe an illegal rave happening uh, and it also brought us income while the landlord had a building that was 100% secure for free. So their business rates were reduced and they didn't have to pay a penny on security. So it was a really good deal for both sides. And that idea of flexible, affordable workspace really started at that point. And uh, even on my Instagram, you can see back in 2013 that I was posting pictures of me sitting at a pub at like nine in the morning with my breakfast, my laptop and a pint going, this should be every day and my bro, will actually uh, sent me that picture and goes our oh, work club was meant to be mate and i was like i, I knew it back then i should have started it earlier but anyway and um so i had the idea of flexible workspace then was going to go off and do the business at that point but hubble which is a uk startup they serve the flex market space as well they hired me as their head of commercial property i spent just under two years with them absolutely love my time with them but i think what drove me crazy towards the end was their lack of ambition uh, to get the products nationwide they had the best product on the market i still think they do have the best product on, on the market but they're not across the country yet and for me that always felt like i was hitting a wall and because we were getting so much demand from places in scotland and wales in ireland but we weren't serving those markets and so for me that didn't sit well, and and I thought that was the best opportunity to go off and do my own thing. I did, re- and then go get into my marketing agency again. I took that full time, did fairly well uh, in the first two years of doing that, uh, and then what happened was I was hit by a car, which ended my my chances of really commuting every day back and forth into the city because I couldn't walk at the time. I'd blown out three discs in my spine, and Whoa. it was it was agony. So. This was really the start of a lockdown period for me where I just couldn't leave home. So I spent months... What what year was this? This was 2017.
1: 2017,
0: okay. Yeah, so I think it was June when I was hit. And then for like three months, my marketing agency just deteriorated. It went to... It just completely failed because I wasn't able to keep up with the demand and because I was in a lot of pain... I physically was hurting, but also mentally really hurting. Cause I had spent so long repairing my back from a previous accident. And all of a sudden I was back to, I mean, not even square one way. You know, I was in a terrible state. And so that just ultimately failed. But what came from, I guess, the ashes of Make More Media was was work club. And it became, it started was, how it started was my wife was was just very aware of what was going on in my life. And she was like, you're not enjoying yourself, you you don't enjoy working from this flat, we were in a studio flat, you need to get out more, you need to see more people, we need to socialise. And so we started doing that. Well, I started working from a local pub, a local hotel. And my wife being my wife started to notice other people doing the same thing. We started to introduce ourselves to them that eventually became an event that we set up on a, you know, every day called the workers club. And the workers club evolved into multiple spaces, more people, and then it kind of clicked with us that it could be a tech solution. We shortened the name to Work Club. We built technology. And then I think it was 2018 is when we transitioned to a tech business, uh, away from just being this workers' club event. Yep. And then the rest kind of happened.
1: Love I it. Guess. Yeah. Very interesting to hear the uh, the backstory of that and how, yes, yeah, sp- but specifically how it started off as just. A group of people working together which yeah. is funnily enough now what i'm looking to do and so it's almost like you're proliferating that that being yeah. able to happen right yeah i mean it's still it's at its foundation it's still about getting people together in a
0: space so that they can work amongst each other it's no good you sitting next to a person who's drinking the pint and having a, a lunch that yeah. if you're sitting next to someone also with a laptop heads down or not it's good to have that kind of environment and that actually helps you as a person work better, more productive if other people are doing the same thing around you. Or you have total peace and quiet. But yeah. this is why we, we don't just bring on every single venue that approaches us. We we look at, you know, they're offering the environment, the space, the facilities, the deals that they can potentially put together, the hours when they're busy, when they're not. And if it all fits, then they become a work club venue. Yeah. And um, I think the hardest part of, of the business right now, I know you didn't ask, but I'm just kind of leading into it, is making sure that the venues are providing not a dining experience but are providing a mm-hmm. workspace experience and that is yeah. i think always going to be the biggest challenge because front of front of house staff are only there to do one job or one job only they're not hugely heavily involved in doing that job they're probably going to move on multiple times in their career doing potentially the same thing or something else i don't know but just making sure that they are aware of the product and how to serve the customer is always going to be the biggest challenge for us
1: yeah. And have you found any good, strat, like the best strategies for that yet? Uh, no, because we've had, just coming out of a, a pandemic.
0: Haven't where, been able to test too much. Yeah, we haven't. Really, it's, again, I mean, I think the hardest part for most of the partners that we work with is hiring staff right now. Is hiring enough people to actually manage these types of operations, these types of services. So still, it's a big old experiment every day.
1: Yeah, completely. So what just if you could kind of outline just very quickly like what is the the vision really for work club in terms of like how you would like to see it expanding and how you know as a kind of end vision if you like what what you'd hope it'd look like just want it to be a tool that helps you get work done at the end of the day get your life in
0: order in terms of like where you're working um on on a daily basis or maybe the whole week depends on on your schedule but I just want to be able to support people when they need that support, finding space uh, that suits them. And but also beyond that, connecting them with op- uh, with services that will again just improve their their lifestyle. So if we find that someone like yourself would like, a, I don't know, you you enjoy fitness and you you potentially like yoga and Pilates or whatever it may be, you know, we want to be able to find those opportunities for you in your in your working week, and we want to optimize your week by saying, you know, on. Uh, You you turn your phone on the Sunday and from Monday to Friday, your entire week is organized for you based on your likes, your dislikes, your meetings, who you need to meet. And so it becomes uh, essentially a very powerful organizer in your back pocket. And that's where we want to take this. It's not as much as a we're not trying to be a prop tech marketplace, even though we've kind of naturally fallen into that category right now. We really want to be more like a lifestyle management tool where we're helping individuals optimize their week to get the most out of their week.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Sounds really good. And and what's like the main sort of challenge at the moment? I know you were doing a raise of some sort. You sort of still in the process of that or uh, yeah. Where's the the next six months looking like?
0: I mean, it's all all around product development. Mostly Um, we are trying to make the product as good as it can be for the users. And we're getting a lot of users coming through the doors and trying out our new features, which is great. Finally, we've been waiting a long time for this. And so I think the biggest challenge for us, the most focus is going to be on evolving that product to suit different types of users, individuals, uh, whether they are part of a team or not, uh, or teams as a whole. Fundraising side of things, we didn't close our CrowdCube raise, we were 8% short, so that we're slightly short of our target, but we've taken those who have expressed interest in investing and we're we're raising a a smaller round, but that's about to close, which is fairly exciting. You know, there's still a lot of paperwork and legals that need to be completed, but we're, we're slowly getting there. But fundraising is always a tough thing to work on, especially when you're also trying to grow the business and with everything opening up, we've only got a limited amount of time to really get the best pro- product out there. Um, the, the the lockdown has been extended, so that's giving us giving us a little bit of breathing room, but it's also push a lot of our sales assumptions back to pr- potentially like Q3 now away from that original q2 period so yep. a lot going on a lot to try and balance at once we're also hiring right now so that's a big thing that's going to take the next at least for the next four months to find the right talent there's so much mm-hmm. talent out there is what we're finding both mm-hmm. outside of the uk but also here in the uk uh people are being very flexible with with their salaries at the moment so a lot of great talent that potentially we can, can go out and find so for me a lot of things going on so yeah there's probably more, and also managing a child yeah. and another one. So exactly, yeah. I've
1: got a nice little window into into the lifestyle at the moment. And are you looking? Is it for you? Are there no boundaries in terms of you know country borders? Is it global, or is it focus on a couple of different markets?
0: I always think global. I think as big as it potentially could be, and that is in every town, city, and village across the world. But our next stop looks like. It could be the United States. It could be here. And we've got a lot of contacts over here. We've got um, investors over here that have already invested into the business that could help us scale operations here in the US. So right now we're very much focused on the UK, but we are having the conversations to allow us to at least experiment in certain cities here in the US, Europe again it's naturally kind of we're being pulled that direction because a lot of the partners we currently work with in the uk have a presence in countries across europe but i think the biggest problem for us is the language barrier right now and we don't have the expertise on the team to to overcome that quite yet so america is probably our first international expansion
1: great stuff very exciting and, and i look forward to using work club myself over the next few months as, as things open up here in london Brilliant. Well, before we just dive into the final round, there was one other just sort of isolated question I wanted to ask you. I saw a post on the work club Instagram, I think it was about 15 minute cities and just did like Mm. a small bit of research into what they are. But that sound quite interesting in terms of a sort of model that bigger cities could start to take on board. Would you be able to just outline what 15 minute cities are and how they could maybe fit with work club?
0: I mean, yeah, the 15-minute city model is been around since the 1800s. I mean, this is oh, really? how Paris was developed. And so you know, the idea of that is that everything that you need from work to you know, your groceries, I sound like in America, your food, pharmacies, everything is built within that 15-minute radius. And I think that's incredibly important going forward now as we look at more people being remote and not having to go into one single HQ as their main destination of work. People want to be able to live their entire lives within that 15-20 minute bubble so they don't need to you know get into a car um, every time to to get down to the stores so we are pushing heavily on this and not just us i mean a lot of companies and people within the in the space are pushing for this 15-minute city to be taken more seriously because that will help many of the high streets across the uk have a bit of a rebirth and that's what i think we're looking at we're looking at trying to fill these vacant retail units that are spread across the UK with the services that we, uh, you and I need from, from where we live. So we want to see more workspace type buildings, retail in, within these empty retail units. We want to see more food and, and drink options, uh, more retail based kind of wellness gyms, yoga studios. Uh, you see a great company that I'm a big fan of called Souk Spaces um, are doing exactly that. So they're taking on empty retail units as a souk space and they are renting it out by the hour for small bit businesses that need a high street presence for maybe one day a week or two days a week or even 3 hours a day and it's a great way to open up these empty units and bringing services and products to them that people need in those areas you could yeah. have a farmer's market in the morning and in the afternoon you could have an estate agent i mean yeah. genuinely
1: pop, pop up awesome. unboxing gym
0: maybe yeah i mean yeah 100 percent. i mean absolutely it could be brilliant you, could have, you yeah. could have your podcast studio in there in the morning and and you know create a really cool setting yeah. but um, the opportunities are endless and now's the time to go after them and uh, hopefully we can play a small part in that 15 minute city as more councils and and hopefully local governments take it more seriously but um a long way to go to get to that point
1: great stuff very interesting stuff and um yeah i'm very excited for the development of you know how we're gonna have a mindset around how we work how we're gonna you know lead our careers and i think it you know it's a massive part of unboxing so been really great to chat about all those things and um yeah definitely going to stay posted with work club Nick, I just wanted to jump into the final round. First question is, what's something that you believe that most people don't or something that you don't believe that most people do? Ah, not so fast, not so fast. See, the problem with doing a podcast is that when something is in total public domain, just people have their guard up slightly about what they can say. You know, people are judgmental these days. So look sure the the content in the main part of the podcast can be juicy and authentic but it's the stuff that people open up within the one-on-one conversations where things really get interesting so i've always thought this and that's why i'm now making this final part of the podcast totally censored just want to give my guests that complete freedom and safe space there's going to be no judgment on linkedin or instagram and it's in here that we'll discuss the theories, the beliefs and the concepts that are just too controversial and out the box for the public domain. Want to hear them? I thought you would. If you want to hear them, head over to my Buy Me A Coffee page. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash unboxwithharry and unlock unboxing uncensored. You'll hear the secret and exclusive final round of each bout where you can hear those thoughts that are just not ready for the public domain. In the meantime, let's finish off the last part of the show. Second question is, in five years' time, how would you like the world to be different?
0: I would like us to be taking, looking after our planet a bit more seriously. I think coming together as, or trying our best to come more together as one to to improving the the environment, I think, is a really important factor of for all of us, for every single one of us, and for our kids as well. So in five years' time, I hope more governments are taking it seriously and doing more joint efforts to clear up the mess that we've caused, putting more pressure on places like China, like the US, like India, to reduce their CO2 footprint massively, because it's currently only going one direction. And I'm a big believer that we still have time to potentially stop or slow it down or stop it. And that, yeah, that would be great to see that in five years' time we're doing more to solve yeah. that problem.
1: Yeah, it, it is actually scary and, and super exciting how different the world could be in five years' time. Yeah. I just reckon it's going to be ridiculously different. Um, we'll be on the 30, 30th lockdown probably by then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. God knows. God knows what else. There's great a new, stuff.
0: There's a new movie called, um, I can't remember actually what it's called, but it's based around COVID. And COVID is just the variants which have kept evolving for like 15, 20 years.
1: Of course they and, will, yeah. Yeah. And it's just got, in our minds. Yeah, it's got completely out of
0: control. And um, to the point where like governments are <laughs> completely quarantining people in these big rooms together. And it's, I can't remember the movie's name, but um, I'm sure a few directors will have fun. Yeah, with.
1: I'll look that up because it's like if you extrapolate some of the stuff that's sort of going on, like, I don't know, Mason Mount, and the chill well, I don't know if you yeah. heard the England players you got isolated because yeah. they spoke to someone yeah it's like well if you extrapolate that, things are going to get very ridiculous very quickly so but then Who you knows? got the
0: Scottish uh, I saw watching the Scottish game they did a replay of the of the trainer coming into the do you see this coming into the <laughs> nurses, <laughs> ripping like you know, the glucose or whatever the energy bar, like, you know and shoving it in his player's mouth and the player like, <laughs> was like oh, that's the same it was guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> they have not done a good job with their COVID. Everyone else has got their mask on, but you got this one medic, oh, you know, shoving into yeah. their mouth. Very yeah. funny, but um, I, I mean, you know, who, who knows what's going on anymore? I'm not. I've never been too worried about my personal health when it, when it comes to yeah. COVID. Uh, my biggest concern is always my family: my mum, my dad, my grand, who kind of did pass away um, after she got the shot, about a month after she got the shot. So that was unfortunate, but nothing. They say nothing to do with the the vaccine, but um, yeah, I was always worried about them. Not so much myself or my wife or anything. We we seem to be
1: okay. Yeah, no, that that I think that's the, I think that that's the thing. It comes down to like not wanting to be selfish, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. I'm people, you know, are getting the vaccine not really for themselves. It's more yeah. to protect other people. And yeah, we could probably have yeah. another whole podcast on the logic around that. But I think that's ultimately the the decision and why people make it.
0: Yeah, I just would hate to make someone feel uncomfortable because i'm not wearing a mask i mean it's such an easy thing to do a lot of people have such a big problem wearing a mask i was actually always thinking about wearing a mask before the pandemic i just i'm a bit obsessed obsessed about kind of clean hands and everything so yeah
1: i mean personally i think that's that's completely true like it's a mask you can wear a mask it's a small thing to do but where does actually the line stop like okay now do a vaccine now never travel again now how long will it be extrapolated for? But before we're like, okay, actually, I do care a little bit about what I want to do and freedom as well. Yeah, yeah, very true. So anyway, we'll uh, we'll get there, and I think, yeah. well, maybe we won't get there, but it's interesting. And I'm, right. I won't bore you with that that conversation today because we've already welcome spoken welcome for that. enough. Yeah, no, great stuff. It's been really good to, to have you, and, and really enjoyed the final round as well. Finally, everyone who comes in the ring gets a. Song to play them out of the ring rather than in. So you're going to have to select a a favorite track, and it will um it will play you out.
0: A favorite track? My goodness, what on earth? I, I wouldn't even. I don't even know what. I'm going to have to look at my playlist.
1: You, you're as bad as Chris. He he was also terrible at this. He had to go on Spotify and pick the last track he listened to. we quite similar. What is this one? There you go.
0: What is that called? I've definitely heard oh, that. It's called. Cool. It's
1: called "Come Get It, Bay" by Pharrell Williams. <laughs>
0: Brilliant,
1: good stuff. Well, thanks a lot, Nick, for uh, juggling you. your time and your your young one and everything. And yeah, great to have an hour of your time to chat about things. And yeah, look forward to getting it out and uh, chatting soon. Harry, thank you so much. Mm-hmm.